There's something curious about this broadcast. This is TGP Nominal. Commence episode now. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas. All systems remain nominal. Nominal, nominal. Welcome back to the Garbage Podstroke TGP Nominal Christmas Crossover. I'm really looking forward to the second half of this show because firstly, it's going to be a lot of fun. And secondly, I don't know how this is going to go, so anything can happen really. So joining me from across the pond should be my regular co-host John Berger. Well, I say regular, it's, it's been a while since we hosted a show together, but hey, real life gets in the way sometimes. So John, how you doing? John? John. Initiating awakening sequence. Wow. <sighs> Jammy Dodgers. Sequence in three, two, one. What? What? How you doing? Who's this? From the other side of the pond, John, it's Mark. Mark. What? Mark. Oh, Mark. Ugh. <sighs> hey, where have you been? It's been a long time, I know, but uh, hey, we're here now. About time. What year is it? Uh, it's nearly <sighs> 2023. Jeez. Okay. Uh, I'll be awake. Hold on. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Fine. Good. So, uh, whilst John gets himself together, also joining us is Will from Will Photography. How goes it, sir? How's it going, Mark? You alright? Yeah, not too bad. Now, how's how's things been going for you? Yeah, it's been going great. I mean, we've got um, we've got the winter season underway. Of course, it's been very very cold. Minus eleven the other night, so it was a bit odd getting the telescopes out, and they were literally freezing over. I've never really experienced that before. In fact, the observatory froze over as well, so trying to, it was a bit of a struggle to open it up. But um, but yeah, it's, it felt like we're in the Arctic. That was really strange because it, it shows you the difference between the north and the south because you were showing posts saying it, it was minus 10 degrees and it was about minus 4 here. So that shows you the difference between where we are and where you are in Northumberland. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not really that far, is it? You know, and I think when it becomes to double digit sort of minus figures it just becomes quite surreal we're not really used to it are we I suppose it's almost like you know, when we had those record breaking heat you know during summer it's the same isn't it I guess sort of that well like well, how are we having plus 38 plus 39 and like minus 10 I think it was minus 15 in Scotland I mean they always get colder weather than us but oh yeah in the highlands we wouldn't want it to get any any more like so, yeah, but I mean, I guess the, the upside of it, of course, was lovely clear sky. So my guests didn't mind being outside in the freezing cold. So, yeah, no, I enjoy it. I do enjoy it. Definitely. You were out last night doing one of your live streams, weren't you? Yeah. So um, one of the best things about it being so cold is the air generally is a lot more still. So you get these really sharp sort of images of the moon and everything. But you're thinking, you know what, I'm going to have to go. It's just, I'm just going to start shivering and probably collapse any minute. But um, I think it's supposed to get warmer just in time for Christmas. It's going to get warmer again, so probably won't be having a white Christmas this year. It's not such of a bad thing, because, I mean, travelling in the snow is not the best of things at the best of times, but what with that and uh, 
the train strikes and what have you. Christmas mm. is, is not an easy way to travel this year. Yeah, that's true. We're not really built for cold weather, to be honest. If the strikes weren't on, the trains would probably be stuck anyway, you know? So... I was looking at a post about the gritting lorries up in Scotland. They've got some weird and wonderful names for some of their gritting lorries. And a lot of them seem to be James Bond themed because there was one like uh, you only grit ice and things like that. Yes, I've seen that. I, I, you know what? I saw that and I thought it was a joke. I didn't realise that was serious. Is that is that No, they they actually do. They were asking for people to do the same down in the south and they were just coming up with the usual gritty yeah, grit yeah. face, you know, that kind of <laughs> <laughs> Right, yeah, because I saw that and, and I thought they were so funny and I honestly thought it was a joke. Like it was a joke post. Didn't realise that they were being serious. Well it is a joke really, yeah. it's just a bit yeah, of fun. That's good. That's but good. they've actually been asking the public up in Scotland to come up with names and they've been really inventive. <laughs> now before we carry on, Eddie Spangles was supposed to be joining us tonight, but unfortunately his daughter is sick, so he can't be with us. So hopefully she gets better very soon. So what I thought I'd do is talk a little bit about Christmas itself. You still awake, John? I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> I've got my Mountain Dew ready with the caffeine overload. And it makes a change because you're normally on Iron Brew at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, Iron Brew doesn't have the caffeine, though. Mountain Dew, is, is that's what it's all about. And unfortunately, Iron Brew is more expensive over here because it has to be imported. So I, I try to ration that out. They do make Iron Brew energy drink. They don't sell it. <laughs> Not over here. <laughs> I wish they did. You, you, you would be bouncing off the walls with that, I would imagine. But uh... I'm fine. You know, Mark, if you want to send me a Christmas gift, <laughs> feel free to send over some of that Iron Brew energy drink. And what's that other uh, Iron Brew 1901 or something like that? Uh, that's in a glass bottle, so I don't know whether that would travel very well. As long as it's protected. Yeah, that's from the original recipe. It's a bit like the throwback stuff. Yeah, I have not seen that over here, unfortunately. So what I was going to say was our Christmas in the UK is very similar to your Thanksgiving in the States. So how does your celebrations differ from Thanksgiving? Uh, besides the gift giving, not much. So it's more of the same. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. You know, Christmas turkey, Christmas ham, you know, it's pretty much the same. Just the, the music and the gifts are different. Yeah. I know you were saying that they've started getting Christmas crackers in America, but you said for some reason without the snap. They've been on sale over here for a while. You can get them on Amazon, but most of them don't have a snap. And for me, that's like, why? But yet, put in another search, and you can still buy those, like, cap gun ammo. Yeah, the little reels of, um... Yeah, the little red rings that, that will have actual gunpowder or whatever in them. You can still buy those. I mean, technically, that's gunpowder in, in the snaps and in the Christmas crackers, but yeah. uh, we were jokingly saying, well, it can't be a health and safety thing, because you go and buy your Christmas crackers without the snap in one store, and then go next door and buy a gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're not going to go down that road here. That's This is not the place for that discussion. But yeah, I mean, I, I did find a few of them that say that they have the snap in there. But you look on Amazon, the vast majority of them are no snap. And I'm just thinking to myself, why? It's, it's strange. I mean, a lot of the time, the snap doesn't actually snap until you take them out of the cracker. So you've got the two bare bits of paper with the snap in the middle very close to your fingers. But it doesn't really make a difference. You know, it's, it still makes the bang. I mean, the idea of it is it's supposed to represent the um, logs on the fire. That's what it's supposed to represent. Ah, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, whatever. I mean, there are some that do have the snap. 
they're going to be a little bit more expensive. I, I don't get the no snap thing. The other thing I was thinking of, uh, I know for certain celebrations in America, you've got McDonald's have special items on the menu, like the shamrock shake you have for St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Getting closer to those. <laughs> Do they have festive things as well? Uh, not really. You'd, you'd think that at this time of year they might have a peppermint shake, but they really don't, at least not in my area. See, in the UK, there's something I always look forward to at McDonald's, and that's the festive pie, uh, which I don't think is something you'd have in America. It has the casing of the, you know, the molten lava apple pie, the normal apple pie that you get from McDonald's, which melt the roof of your mouth when you try and eat it. Mm-hmm. But the filling is very British. It's It's got mincemeat in it, and I'm not talking about ground beef or something like that. It's the sweet mix of chopped fruit and uh, distilled spirits and spices and suet and right. all that kind of stuff. And then at the other end of the pie is custard. (laughs) I gotta have custard. (laughs) I'm surprised there's not Marmite in there. (laughs) Well, the one thing at least you guys get that we don't anymore because, you know, we we gotta eat all healthy over here. You guys at least still deep fry your pies over there. Uh, Yes, we do. They're all baked over here, which is really annoying. Wow. It's annoying. Yeah, I'm looking at the festive pie right now, and I can tell just by looking at the crust, you guys still deep fry Uh it. And I'm jealous. I just wish they did them all year round. I could eat mince pies all all year round, but obviously I'm going to get them at Christmas. Yeah. Like certain other things like the uh, the cabbage cream egg you only get at Easter. And hot cross buns, which you're supposed to only have at Easter, but they're starting to sell them all year round now. Aren't those just like cinnamon rolls with the icing in a form of a cross? Isn't that really it? Uh, not really. It's, no? it's more like spices and stuff more than cinnamon. I know cinnamon is a spice, but there's more different flavors in there. Um, the cross isn't actually iced. It's actually a different type of pastry, I suppose, that you put on the top of it but they do them with different flavors now like you can get them instead of having currants and raisins and sultanas you can put chocolate in them and uh, i've had them with um little bits of crystallized rhubarb and all kinds of stuff oh yeah flour currants raisins interesting oh i'll get that i just saw currants this reminded me we have a currant bush in the back they're popular obviously over on your side the black currants but yeah we have them, and they've been growing berries, but they never turned color. For like the past four years or something, we've been getting berries, but not turning color. And we're like, what the hell is going on? And every year, the bush is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's very happy where it's at. But it's like, why are these berries not turning? What the hell is going on? And my daughter decided to do some research. Turns out it's a white currant plant. So those berries are probably all good. All right. But they're not going to change color. It's like, I didn't even know there was white currant. <laughs> Will, do you have any family traditions at Christmas? Uh, family traditions, um, gambling, I guess. <laughs> Just you know, <laughs> playing uh, board games with money. <laughs> It's just a bit of fun, but it just adds a little bit of spice to it, doesn't it? Um, Remind me not to play Monopoly in your house. (laughs) I always win, man. I always win. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to lie. I think that because there's nowhere else to go, it's a whole Mm. point. It's meant to be family. That's why places are closed. But you're kind of like, all right, you're forced to stay in. You know, back in the day, we used to love watching uh, Only Fools and Horses. Lovely jubbly. That was always the big thing, you know, Christmas special. Yeah, I absolutely love it. But nowadays, it's just, okay, just having a nice meal, you know, turkey dinner and everything. Just literally playing board games nonstop. (laughs) I actually prefer the the Boxing Day meal, you know, with with the cold cuts and the pickles and all that kind of stuff. 
Actually, I tell you what we do do on Boxing Day is we go out for a meal, go out for a restaurant. That's usually what happens. Oh, cool. Although I tell you what, a bit of an insight, it looks like there's a good chance that there should be northern lights visible on Christmas night. Ooh. And uh, visible in most parts of the UK. So I'm monitoring it, but fingers crossed, I think that would be massive. Northern lights on Christmas night. Because I know there's um, some comets and stuff around that time as well. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a decent comet. Uh, E3ZTF is on its way. Certainly visible by telescopes. That's going to be getting brighter and brighter, and hopefully February it'll be very much naked eye visible. Fingers crossed. I haven't mentioned it yet to anyone. I'm just monitoring it. I'm like, oh, you know what? It's looking pretty likely. Yeah, so that'd be really cool, you know, if it does happen. But of course, we need clear skies for that. We just want the cold weather to continue then. Yeah, but yeah. But you really you need snow on the ground and a clear sky. Mm. But I mean, it's what we've got at the moment, and um, it's just beautiful. I love it. I don't know what it is. It just makes it so much more special. You know, I, lo- I love stargazing, right? It's my life. But stargazing in the snow, the green of the aurora reflecting on the, on the snow, mm-hmm. it's like, just takes it to another level. Fingers crossed. Hey, you can always hope. Right, so we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we have something a little festive from our resident astronomer. Merry Christmas to everybody on TGP Nominal from Gareth Jones on Speed. TGP listeners, this is Casper Van Dien. Welcome to the Roughnecks, and Merry Christmas. Hello, I'm Ross, the founder of UK Astronomy, and welcome to this festive little talk about the night sky. Now, I'm sure you've all heard of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, who hasn't, but have you heard of Rangifer the Reindeer? That's apparently the correct pronunciation for it. Probably haven't heard of them. I hadn't either, really, until Mark asked me if there are any Christmas-related objects in the sky that we could perhaps talk about. I obviously went for the better-known object, the Christmas tree cluster, which I think we've spoken about before. But then Mark sent me a message with some details about this cool constellation I hadn't really heard of. So, Rangifer was actually a small constellation created by French astronomer Pierre-Charles Le Monnier in 1736, which is located between Cassiopeia, the vain queen, which is sort of the W in the sky on the side, sort of sideways W in the sky, and uh, Camel Le Pardalis, however you want to say it, which is pretty much kind of like a camel in the sky. Not a very known constellation, the vain queen would be the easiest way to find it. So, in fact, Rangifer actually means reindeer in Latin, so that's what it means. It means there's a reindeer in the sky. The guy did it to commemorate an expedition to Lapland where observations from the expedition actually proves the Earth's oblateness, which is the property possessed by a round shape that is flattened at the poles. So that's what the Earth is, a sphere that's kind of flattened at the poles. So that's what it was put up there for. Now, during the 17th and 18th centuries, astronomy was actually quite fashionable. I think now it's becoming more fashionable nowadays, hopefully, especially with moon landings and things going on. And the constellations were popping up everywhere for anything, really, and people were just making things up out of the oddest shapes, the dimmest stars, to commemorate pretty much anything and everything that was happening. In fact, in 1781, when Uranus was discovered, it was originally called Georgium Sidus, which is the Georgian planet, and it was to commemorate King George, the third of England. Obviously, other countries didn't really like this, so it was then named Uranus instead. I'm not sure that's much better. So finally, the astronomy world decided that it was getting rather ridiculous in the sky, 
So sadly, no songs or Disney films will be made out of Rangifir the Reindeer, as it's not officially recognised now as one of the 88 constellations we know today. But you can still find it in the night sky. So pop out this Christmas and see if you can spot Santa and this little reindeer in the winter skies. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from UK Astronomy. Before we carry on, there's something that I need to pick up on from Ross's piece. Camelo pardalis doesn't actually mean camel in Latin. Today, what we would call scientists and astronomers were originally called the Magi, or wise men, as the Bible referred to them. In fact, Magi is where the word magic comes from, because people thought science was magic and alchemy. Hence why in mythology and folklore, scientists are portrayed as wizards. The Magi would travel the world making discoveries, and one of these discoveries is made up of two ancient Greek words, camelos and leparadalas the camel leopard, or giraffe, as we would call them today, because it had a long neck like a camel and a body with spots like a leopard. The constellation was documented by German astronomer Jacob Bartsch in 1624. It contains Kemble's Cascade, an asterism formed by a cascade of relatively faint stars and several other notable deep sky objects, the open cluster NGC 1502, the oyster nebula NGC 1501, the spiral galaxy NGC 2403 and the dwarf irregular galaxy NGC 1569. Ross also mentioned about folks back in the day creating constellations and naming celestial objects to commemorate almost anything. Well, at TGP Nominal, we encourage our listeners to rename constellations and other objects if it helps them remember them and where they are located in the skies. For example, Canis Minor, the little dog, which sits beside Canis Major, the big dog, we refer to as the stick. Canis Minor is made up of just two stars, Procyon A and Procyon B. So if you draw a line between them, you get a stick. A stick that has been thrown by Orion for Canis Major to chase. Our favourite renamed celestial object is NGC 457, or the Owl Cluster. We call it the Johnny Five Cluster, as we think it resembles Johnny Five from the movie Short Circuit. Hey, laser lips! Your mama was a snowblower! NGC 457 was discovered by William Herschel in 1787 and is the brightest open cluster in Cassiopeia, or Cassiopeia as I like to call it, because of the character from Battlestar Galactica. It's also one of the finest objects of its type in the northern sky. It's just beyond naked eye visibility, but easily found with binoculars and a beautiful sight through telescopes, although December is not a fantastic time to view it. Ross also spoke about Uranus, being called Georgium Sidus, the Georgian planet, after George III in 1781. King George had the planet named after him because of his love of natural philosophy, what we now call science. His intellectual thinking was very much influenced by one of his tutors, John Stuart, the third Earl of Butte. Butte introduced him to natural philosophy demonstrations and instrument collecting. Upon ascending the throne in 1760, at the age of 22, the young king began to assemble his own collection of scientific instruments. Unlike some monarchs, who famously collected what has become known as the Cabinet of Curiosities, that contained fabulous but unused treasures. People who were interested in natural philosophy in the 18th century, including King George, did not limit themselves to one particular area, or subject specialism as we might call it today. 
from pamphlets that accompanied the numerous lectures given in London coffee houses, education establishments and private houses, we can see that learning about natural philosophy included mechanics, pneumatics, the study of gases, hydrostatics, the study of fluids under pressure, optics, the study of light, mathematics and astronomy, just to name a few. In London, young men attending schools to prepare them for careers as clerks or merchants were also taught these subjects in addition to surveying, bookkeeping and letter writing. Young women were not given the same opportunities as men at this time, but some were fortunate enough to learn about natural philosophy at home and at the end of the 18th century, a school was set up by Margaret Bryan to teach astronomy to girls and young women. So what do you think to that, guys? I, I did not expect the fart sound. That had me giggling, <laughs> which just... I'm three years old, what can I say? <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, that was really cool. I, I've never heard about that reindeer thing. Neither did I. I mean, obviously, I'm aware of that there were loads of other uh, constellations that they've had to change since, you know, the, the official list. But um, I'm, I have to try and figure out which stars it is, because that's a really cool thing to look at. It's literally at the zenith at the moment. should be able to see it, find it, no problem. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's really cool. Very cool. Everybody knows about the madness of King George, down to diseases that he had that made him a little bit uh, mentally unstable. You know, they made a movie about it. But I didn't actually know that he was heavily into science and promoting astronomy and things like that. So he's gone up in my estimation. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I used to refer him as as King Big Nose because we saw a statue of, of him once and it had a huge nose on it. And I said, well... Who's that then? And I looked at the plaque on the bottom of it. Oh, King George III. King Big Nose, we knew him as after that. <laughs> I actually had someone yesterday, they, they asked me, um, you know, what do they have to do to have a planet named after them? You know, they actually, I said, you just got to discover one, right? Just discover a planet. I'm sure you'll, you'll get naming rights. The easiest way, yeah. <laughs> but I, I just like yeah. the fact the British named the planet after their king. And the rest of the world didn't like it, so they decided to call it Uranus instead. (laughs) (laughs) Do you not think that probably was the actual response to when they found out it was called George? That was probably what? (laughs) The Georgian planet, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Probably, yeah. (laughs) It wasn't the actual intention of naming the the new name. That was just their response. (laughs) (laughs) I I could well believe that. (laughs) Quiz. Quiz. Did I hear somebody say quiz? What a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So let's play our annual 12 Days of Christmas quiz. As you can probably guess, there are 12 questions, but there are a few bonus points to be won also. Have you got something to uh, take down your scores, guys? Uh, Yep. Yep. Okay. So it's pre-recorded and it gets repeated, so you've got plenty of chance to answer the question. So let's go. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Name the five elements whose symbols appear in the word Christmas. Name the five elements whose symbols appear in the word Christmas. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. The world's first Christmas cards were commissioned by Sir Henry Cole in London in 1843. Who was the Prime Minister or President at that time? 
the world's first Christmas cards were commissioned by Sir Henry Cole in London in 1843. Who was the Prime Minister or President at that time? On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Name the substance that makes Christmas trees green. Name the substance that makes Christmas trees green. On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Knife scanner, that's knife scanner, is an anagram of which nativity item? Knife scanner, that's knife scanner, is an anagram of which nativity item? On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. What Christmas decoration was invented in Nuremberg, Germany in 1610? What Christmas decoration was invented in Nuremberg, Germany in 1610? On the sixth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. The modern Santa Claus was based on traditions surrounding which 4th century bishop who was born in Turkey. And for a bonus point, what was he strangely the patron saint of? The modern Santa Claus was based on traditions surrounding which 4th century bishop who was born in Turkey. And for a bonus point, what was he strangely the patron saint of? On the seventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. One of the bulbs in the Christmas tree lights blows, but the others stay alight. What type of circuit are they? One of the bulbs in the Christmas tree lights blows, but the others stay alight. What type of circuit are they? On the eighth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Which present-day world leader was born on Christmas Day, 1971? Which present-day world leader was born on Christmas Day, 1971? On the ninth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. In the UK, it is traditional for the monarch to address the nation on Christmas Day. But which journalist, stroke writer and poet wrote the first ever King's Christmas speech? And for a bonus point, what time does the speech get broadcast on Christmas Day? In the UK, it is traditional for the monarch to address the nation on Christmas Day. But which journalist, stroke writer and poet wrote the first ever King's Christmas speech? And for a bonus point, what time does the speech get broadcast on Christmas Day? On the tenth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Who played Chris Kringle in the 1947 film Miracle on 34th Street? And for a bonus point, who played him in the 1994 version? Who played Chris Kringle in the 1947 film Miracle on 34th Street? And for a bonus point, who played him in the 1994 version? On the eleventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. What day of the week did Christmas Day fall on in the year you were born? What day of the week did Christmas Day fall on in the year you were born? On the eleventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me.
On the twelfth day of Christmas my true love gave to me. Which American state's Spanish translation literally means covered in snow? Which American state's Spanish translation literally means covered in snow? Right. How did you think you all did? Was it me or was that 13 questions? Well, definitely 12. I must have missed one somewhere. I, I found that so difficult. I mean, I've been on, I've actually been on TV, you know, quiz shows. And this is more stressful than having all the cameras pointing on me. <laughs> this is easier than last year's one, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, man, what's going on? It's like the hardest questions I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> And, and let's face it, one of those was strictly biased because it was all about British stuff. I have no clue on the one. None what's... I don't know who wrote what in England and when it's played. Come on. Bias! Mark's being anti-American. Sorry, I'm kidding. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I, um, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I don't think I've even got one. I got a few of them. So I'll reveal the answers after a little something that I put together that I think you might enjoy. Houston, we have a problem. This is TGP Nominal. Hello, everybody, and welcome to... I've forgotten what I was going to say now. Whack, whack. Oops. I know what I was going to say. I, I, had the first, I had the first bit lined up, and then it was like, uh, what do I say after that? <laughs> I've got one of those Hollywood clappers out in my other room. I can go get it for you. We can do a take two. <laughs> that is a great start. Now I'll be fine. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, or click on the social media, oh, that name's got me started. <laughs> There's a blooper for the end for you. I can't talk. Me talk goodly. It's always nice to be corrected. I like that. And you did it in a very nice way. You didn't just call me an idiot. Leave that one to the bleeper reel. Or blooper. Oh, see, there you go. I just added another one. The bleeper. No, the blooper, John. Jesus Christmas. You know, I listened to a podcast the other night, and those guys really made sense. Don't think I have... Uh, no, 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 I did it, but, but yeah, okay. take two. See, see, even something like that. I'm so sick of acronyms, I can't even get that one right. Who fancies a bit of mooning? How does dog flatulence fit in with 3D printing? You'll find out on the next episode of TGP Nominal. God. And you're going to put the damn toodles in, aren't you? Possibly. (laughs) Dog flatulence and 3D printing. Are you serious? I cannot remember for the life of me what that was all about. I cannot remember the context of that whatsoever. But I, now I really want to know. <laughs> and I've still got a load more of those, so I can make some more. <laughs> I kind of don't want to know what that was about. <laughs> uh, well, see, I said it, and I have no recollection of that whatsoever, so now I want to know. <laughs> I did like that bit where, where Ross was saying, um, you, you put that very nicely without calling me an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what that was about. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, are you ready for the answers? No. <laughs> I think it's going to be interesting to, to hear these answers. Okay, so let's go. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. 
Name the five elements whose symbols appear in the word Christmas. Carbon, hydrogen, iodine, sulfur, and arsenic. So did anybody get any of those? I got iodine, but that was it. So what I think I'll do then is if I give a point for each, so you got a point for that one. Did you get anything, Will? No, just the hydrogen. So you get a point for hydrogen. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. The world's first Christmas cards were commissioned by Sir Henry Cole in London in 1843. Who was the Prime Minister or President at that time? Robert Peel was the Prime Minister and John Tyler was the President. Did anybody get that one? Nope. Nope. Now, Robert Peel was not only famous for being Prime Minister, he, he also was famous for introducing a police force to the UK for the first time. Uh, they were called the Peelers after him. Um, but yeah, he introduced a, a police force to, for the UK, to the UK. What, what do you mean he introduced a police So was it like... Um... Uh, it was the first official police force, shall we say. There, there was kind of... People in each town used to have a... Um, the equivalent of a sheriff, I suppose, at that time. But this was a, a proper... With uniforms and everything. i tell you what, I've literally just finished filming, because, you know, I do TV and film extras work. Yeah. I was playing a police officer, and it was the first time I actually had to wear a uniform. Because I've done loads of, like, different um, roles before. I've been, like, a doctor and, and soldier and things. But this was pretty fun. I had a proper full-on police outfit. And um, we had to film a different area. So I had to drive to the studio wearing a police outfit. And I was like, are we allowed to do this? You know, I'm going out in the public wearing this police kit, you know. I'm like, what? what you know? <laughs> Impersonating a police officer, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is, I was being followed by the police on the way to the studio. <laughs> I was thinking, if I get pulled over, this will be like the funniest thing, you know. But, uh, but no, they didn't pull me over. <laughs> <laughs> As she's saying that, a friend of mine, she's, her friend, um, went to see the filming of the l- latest series of um, Vera, which we, we you were in, and I thought to myself, she might have seen Will. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm certainly in uh, two outstanding ones. I haven't aired it yet, so, um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. Really cool, actually. I really enjoyed it. The other time was when I had to be a U.S. Marine. Nineteen, I was in a proper film, and I had to act as a, an American Marine. Weren't you in one of the Tom Cruise movies? Yeah, Mission Impossible Seven. It's not out yet. It's out in July. They've delayed it and delayed it and delayed it. But um, yeah, I'm really excited for that one. That'll be really fun. Playing just a businessman, though. Nothing, nothing too exciting, role-wise. But it was really exciting to to be part of it. Yeah, I bet. So yeah, I've got a few more coming up. Fingers crossed there'll be some good roles, good fun. Cool. I really enjoyed the police. The police was really fun. Right, next question. On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Name the substance that makes Christmas trees green. Chlorophyll. On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Knife scanner. That's knife Scanner is an anagram of which nativity item? Frankincense. Good job, Will. On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. What Christmas decoration was invented in Nuremberg, Germany in 1610? Tinsel. Did anybody get that? Nope. 
According to the concise Oxford Dictionary, the word is from the Old French word estoncelli, meaning sparkle. On the sixth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. The modern Santa Claus was based on traditions surrounding which 4th century bishop who was born in Turkey. And for a bonus point, what was he strangely the patron saint of? I figured that was St. Nicholas. Don't know the bonus, though. This will blow you away, this one. Well, I shouldn't say that, actually. St. Nicholas was the patron saint of prostitutes. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? <clears throat> I'll blow you away. Good, Mark. Good one. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you serious? On the seventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. One of the bulbs in the Christmas tree lights blows, but the others stay alight. What type of circuit are they? It's a parallel circuit rather than a series circuit. Did anybody get that? Yep. No. On the eighth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Which present-day world leader was born on Christmas Day, 1971? Um, I'm guessing it's the Canadian Prime Minister, but I, don't, I can't remember his name. No idea. Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister. I'll give you that, Will. Hmm. Okay, next question, which is the one that John's got a problem with. <laughs> On the ninth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. In the UK, it is traditional for the monarch to address the nation on Christmas Day. But which journalist, stroke writer and poet wrote the first ever King's Christmas speech? And for a bonus point, what time does the speech get broadcast on Christmas Day? Rudyard Kipling wrote the first King's speech for George V which was broadcast at 3pm on Christmas Day in 1932. Do you know Roger Kipling, John? Yeah. Yeah, wrote the Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, he wrote the, the first King's Speech in 32, and I'll put a link to the actual speech because it is available on YouTube. Biased! <laughs> <laughs> on the tenth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me... Who played Chris Kringle in the 1947 film Miracle on 34th Street? And for a bonus point, who played him in the 1994 version? That was Edmund Gwen. And the 1994 version, I know who he is. The uh, nature... Oh, God, but I can't remember his name. But he's done so many BBC nature documentaries and so forth. Uh, that, no, his brother has. Edmund Gwen in 1947 and Richard Attenborough in 1994. Yeah, he's the old guy out of Jurassic Park. That's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. It was the Attenborough. I was like, I know him, I know him, damn it. His brother is David Attenborough. Okay, that's who, where I was getting. Who, mixed who does up. all the uh, nature documentaries? Are they, are they actually related? Are they actually related? Yeah, they're brothers. Yeah. Oh, and obviously, I knew it was the same name, but I didn't realize they were actually related. Yeah. Oh, wow. See, now i got to watch Miracle on 34th Street, as well as, as uh, Christmas Carol with Alistair Sim. That's my favorite. Yeah, I've got to watch um, It's a Wonderful Life again. I do that every Christmas. And Scrooged. I love Scrooged. Bill Murray. I love yep. that. Mm -hmm. Haven't watched that yet. You've not watched Scrooged? No. Nope. It's an amazing film. Totally different take on um, the Christmas yeah. Carol. I'll check it out. 
On the eleventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. What day of the week did Christmas Day fall on in the year you were born? Hence why I needed your year of I birth. I have no clue. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, so, John, Christmas Day was on a Friday, on the year you were born, and Will... Tuesday, was it? Thursday. <laughs> According to Google. <laughs> <laughs> on the twelfth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me... Which American state's Spanish translation literally means covered in snow? Nevada. Yep, Nevada. You say it that way, they'll mock you. It's Nevada. <laughs> Did it in the English style. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not saying bottle of water either. I'm not going down that way. <laughs> what, what's this bottle of water thing? Um, the Americans find it funny how British people say a bottle of water because most people say it, bottle of water. I was doing a little road trip, went to Las Vegas to start there to do in you know, Grand weren't like Grand Canyon and all that sort of stuff. And um I think we're at like a Wendy's and uh she came over and said, Oh, would you like to drink? And I was like, I'll have um water please. And this this woman like looked at me that was serving us what what? I was like, Water? She's like, What? And I'm like, oh, what God. is going on? And I said, the most simplest liquid known to man is what I would like to drink, you know. And she's like, oh, I'll, I'll go and get my manager. I was like, what is going on? So then what? she came, came, came over. I was like, yeah, how can I help? I was like, uh, I would like a glass of water, please. She, oh, yeah, sure, sure. And then it was that trip made me realize, you know, that it was the first time I experienced this, right? So about a week into the trip, going through a drive through in McDonald's. And they're like, oh, you know, what would you like to drink? And I, I said, uh, a bottle of water, please. And then they went, what? Oh, my God. I just went, a bottle of water? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Uh, just one of those funniest things, like, just literally just came out, you know. I was like, okay, I understand that they do not understand the word water. So I've got it right now. I've got, I've got it. I've sussed it out. <laughs> <laughs> Your accents are not that difficult. Oh my god! What the hell? Maybe maybe it's just me because I was watching too many British TV shows when I was a kid. Between Danger Mouse and Monty Python and oh, Bunny Hill, yes, I admit it. Uh, whatever. <laughs> so, guys, what were your scores in the end? After all that, uh, I guess that would be five. I got seven, surprisingly. Nice. It's not bad scoring. I tried to make, believe it or not, the questions easier than I did last year, because the questions last year were very scientific heavy. Mm. So, because <laughs> last year I called it the 12 Days of Christmas Science Christmas Quiz. <laughs> but this year I thought, I'll try and tone down the science a bit and see if that helps. <laughs> it depends, like, how much science, how much in debt, you know what I mean? Because... I would always prefer science, but it depends how, you know what I mean, how how crazy. Last year, it was a lot of the uh, Latin terms for this, that, and the other, all these different things, what does it make? And it was like the contents of a Christmas pudding, but in um, chemical reactions wow. and stuff. It was like... No. <laughs> <laughs> Too difficult. I, I, I usually do well uh, at a more simpler level, but I don't enjoy the... Um, the current effect you know the current stuff because I, I went i've been on the chase 
on ITV. Wow. And um, the ones I struggle with is like who won Love Island this year and, you know, the dancing ice thing, you know, all these sort of things. I don't watch any of it, you see. So I really struggle with those sort of questions. But ask me factual geography, science, spacey stuff, you know, tend to do okay. Actually, it was really embarrassing because on the chase, like they asked me, oh, what do you do with your background? And I was like saying, oh, yeah, do astronomy, blah, blah, blah. And guess what? An astronomy question came up and I got it wrong. So embarrassing. <laughs> But luckily, no one picked up on it, except I've just told everyone now, so... <laughs> uh, one of the chasers on the chase, Paul Shimmer, he uh, quite often gets medical questions wrong, and he's a doctor. Right, yeah. That makes me feel better, then. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's time for another break, and when we come back, there might be something special happening. Welcome back to the Garbage Pod Stroke TGP Nominal Christmas Crossover. Now joining us is a friend of the show who's Kate Arkless Gray, aka Space Kate. Welcome on board, Kate. It's great to be back with you. Now, regular TGP nominal listeners might be familiar with Kate's voice as she's featured on the show on many occasions. Um, the most recent event was the 2021 Euros Night celebrations, which was good fun. Always fun talking about space. <laughs> I will put a link to the, the video for that on the show notes. On that show, we were discussing 60 years of human space flight, along with honorary crew members Janelle Harrier-Wilson and Dr. Ryan Kobrick. It dawned on me recently, after playing back the footage from that session, that you really should be an honorary crew member, because you've done a lot for the podcast over the years. So I invited you on board tonight to induct you into our honorary crew members wall. And virtually present you with one of our uh, crew member mission patches. So it's very difficult to do as a podcast, but all I can say really is welcome to TGP Nominal. Thank you. And do I actually get a patch? Do I get a real mission patch? You get a proper mission patch. Oh, look at that patch. That is great. Oh, I like it. Very nice. And all we ask in return is that when you receive it, if you can send us back a photograph of you with it so that we can put you on the members' webpage. Fabulous. Am I allowed to be grinning like an idiot? Because I probably will be. We'd be disappointed if you did. Yeah. <laughs> we love listening to you talk about space because your passion about it is is so infectious. I'm just a big kid. I can't help but get excited about things that... I mean, they are exciting. You know, I th what's this thing that happens when you grow up and you think, oh, I'm supposed to be sensible and professional and, and just kind of go, oh, you know, just sort of nod and go, yes, that's very interesting. Yes. No, why? It's just amazing when you see things happen. You know, watching Splashdown of the Artemis 1 mission yesterday, I mean, it was fantastic. Yeah. I got quite emotional, actually. You know, I've, I've sort of seen those kind of images all through history. You know, with, look, thinking back to the Apollo program, I've got my Lego Saturn V up in my room. But I wasn't alive when Apollo happened. I've just seen those iconic images. And then there it was kind of happening in front of us. Not an Apollo moment, but an Artemis one. Kate, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you again because 
if anyone can bring fun to spaceflight, it's you. Aw, thank you. And thank you for having me on. And you've just talking to you both has cheered me up because I, I have to admit, when I first logged on, it was cold. My room's warmed up a bit. That's probably also helped. Yeah, I was cold and miserable and just kind of like, oh, I hate winter. But then we're talking about space and I'm I'm back alive again. Everything is good with the world. As I say, it's a pleasure. So um, I look forward to including you on the wall, on the on the webpage. So uh, you, you'll be there with a lot of other like-minded people. Yeah, I'm excited. It seems like a good crew to be part of. <laughs> we have fun. Yeah, we do. Sure do. Yeah, cheers, Kate. Thank you very much. So we'd love getting her on the show because you could just sit there and listen to her talk about space-related things and the people that she's met. She's met quite a few of the Apollo astronauts, hasn't she, John? Mm-hmm. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly jealous of that. that. That's quite a name list that she was able to drop, but yeah. very cool. She's done a bit for us in the past. I mean, she's conducted interviews with astronauts and she sent us the recording so that we could use it in the show and that kind of stuff. Will, how about that then? Another inductee to the honorary crew members wall. To be honest with you, I was just thinking, right, obviously being part of the honorary crew membership, um, to have someone like Kate being part of it makes me even more honoured, if you know what I mean. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it has a double meaning to it now. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just really awesome. I mean, it's, you know, to I remember when I, when you very kindly um, asked me, and I was just honestly, man, I was absolutely buzzing, absolutely buzzing. And um, the only thing is, it just took me a few months to send you the photograph because I had to have that many practices <laughs> of, of you know trying to look a bit cool, not <laughs> not too geeky, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, really, really cool. Strangely, when you come on the show, and I've got the the slide thing to put on Facebook and stuff like that. That is the uh, the picture I use. Right, <laughs> it's yeah. the, the one with the patch. I mean, I, I should know how to take photographs, right? Being a photographer, but um, that's you know, true. I do, it's like, no, that's wrong. Lighting's wrong. No, that's not right. <laughs> it's my dream. I haven't seen a rocket launch like ever, and I, I really, really, no, not not yet. Wow, I really, really want to. Would be so good. Just can't imagine what it'd be like. I've I've seen two and a half rocket launches. <laughs> I got to see two launches and one got scrubbed and we couldn't be in the area at the time, so I actually got to see it from a distance, like uh probably about a hundred mile away distance, <laughs> wow, but I can okay. still see it and hear it. Wow. There was a rocket launch, can't remember it was like five, six months ago, and the path of it actually went across the UK over the uk and i was having a stargazing event that night and obviously i was aware that there was a chance we could see a rocket you know you know by the time it went up there it was it was still a bit of reaction you could see the sort of i don't know what it would be the fumes or you know whatever and um saw it it was so good i was absolutely buzzing i mean obviously it was a good 150 miles above us by this time but that's the closest i mean it doesn't count but it does count if you know what i mean but yeah i was so excited I've got a little iPhone video of that happening. Just me screaming in the background. Can you imagine what it'd be like in real life? <laughs> looking at it, you know, like literally just, just in front of you sort of thing. I remember you saying when you uh, were 
taking some of your people out on the stargazing thing and there was the northern lights you could see the northern lights and um you were saying that you might have woken a few people up in in the hotel because uh, <laughs> you, you were shouting and screaming yeah that this is the problem you know i i struggle to to sort of be calm <laughs> when i see the aurora i'm like screaming and then it just gets to a point where you start thinking you know it is like 1 a.m and there is a, a combination <laughs> as well. There's, there's going to be people thinking, someone's being murdered outside. Like something, <laughs> something bad is happening, you know? Because I'm like, look at that. Oh my God, look at that. Over there. So yeah, it's um, something that I need to, well, no, I'm, I'm not going to. It's how it is, man. Nah, don't, you know don't I mean? turn it, yeah. tone it down. Yeah. Wow. Definitely not. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, they're missing out. In fact, if anything, they should be grateful I'm waking them up. And they should come outside and see it, you know. Not all of the accommodation people are here to stargaze, of course. There are a lot of walkers who get up early in the morning for their hike. So, yes, I have to be a bit more aware, aware of this. <laughs> <laughs> Just stargazing tonight, you know, forecast is, is very, very clear. So hopefully there'll be some more screams. <laughs> nice. <laughs> While we're on the topic of space, have a listen to this. Uh, this week, a baloney amputee by the name of John McFall was recruited by the European Space Agency to become the first disabled person in space. After losing his right leg in a motorcycle accident aged 19, John McFall became a fitness instructor, won bronze at the 2008 Beijing Paralympics, is an orthopaedic surgeon and soon to be an astronaut. Not only is he making history with a profile like that, he is going to clean up on Tinder. <laughs> not, not when he's up there. <laughs> One match, E.T. <laughs> Phone home, you're not coming back in the morning. Jackie is going to wear his leg. In space? In space, because it kind of is obviously the idea if you're weightless, it's going to make no difference. Is he going to wear it? I that... don't know, because also, if he doesn't wear it, I mean, you know what it's like putting these on. I mean, that'll be a f <laughs> if it's floating away. Spend <laughs> 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 20 minutes trying to get on and then go, I don't even need it. Oh, God, I'm so jealous when he goes on the moon and says, one small hop for man. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been asked to go... Cos I was once asked to go on... Have I been asked to go into space? No. <laughs> no sorry, well, I was asked to go on... Remember when there was going to be a space passenger flight? Yeah. And there was talk about who wants to... I was actually asked if I wanted to Were be you? on the first one. And I said no for the same reason I wouldn't, wouldn't want to go on a roller coaster for the first time. <laughs> Do you know, I might let you guys iron the kinks out first. Do you know what I mean? The Titanic didn't sink on its second voyage. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't go, because space is actually nearer than Australia. <laughs> but also, like, you're quite... What I take from that is, mm. you're seen as one of the disposable celebrities. <laughs> You, Howard from the Halifax adverts, we'll send him. <laughs> he is not disposable. No, he's not. I'll take that back. Do you know what? We'd like to take credit for this too, by the way, because a few years ago we sent a prosthesis into space. Uh, look like that. It's just nice that the rest of the human has now caught up with it. Who we can now cross to live. Come in, John McFall. Hello. <laughs> Um, loads of questions for all of us. The big one we asked earlier, will you be wearing your prosthesis in space? Yeah, really good question. Um, I, that's, that's the whole reason why we're doing this feasibility project, right? Um, in space, 
uh, a lot of the time astronauts they obviously they float around the the space station uh, and they need to anchor themselves whilst they're you know doing research or undertaking maintenance and that sort of thing and actually having multiple points to be able to anchor is quite advantageous so yeah i think probably wearing a prosthesis would be useful uh, on the ISS, but also when you're going to consider working outside um, the spacecraft doing EVAs, you, you're probably going to need to have a prosthesis on to be able to have uh, multiple points of contact on the spacecraft whilst you're outside. And then you've got to have, consider the whole thing about, you guys will know this, about stump volume, right? How do you control stump volume? And, and having a prosthesis on is, is a really good way to do that. And space messes all that up. Oh, you're saying so it might swell up in space and then you come back yeah, and you can't yeah, get your yeah. prosthesis you, you, on? So if you look at loads of the pictures of, of people on the ISS, they're all they're relatively swollen. And that's because oh. fluid shifts into different spaces uh, where it doesn't want to be. Um, and that would be the same for, for your stump. So, you know, oh. you probably want to wear a prosthesis wow. to maintain stump volume. If it swells up, it'll look like it's growing back and then they'll kick you off. <laughs> <laughs> John, just, uh, um, yeah, go. John, just, like, how did you, like, get into this project like was it something you kind of thought oh one day i want to be an astronaut or did you just kind of see it see it on like job advert or something <laughs> yeah. yeah i saw it in the job center um, <laughs> so, uh, um it was actually um a colleague of mine at work said uh said john do you know that the european space agency are looking for people with a physical disability to to be astronauts i was like really and I, I looked at the uh, I looked at the advert and I thought, wow, this is this is really interesting. And before that, it hadn't really been on my radar, probably because being an amputee and having a physical disability, it precludes you from applying to things like that as well. You know, like the army or, or, or the military and stuff as well. And I looked at it; and it just sounded so interesting. Uh, and I thought that I would have the the skills and uh, the mix of technical ability to help ESA answer this question of can we get someone with a physical disability to work in space. I love the idea that if you tether your stump to the like space station then technically it becomes the prosthetic <laughs> and it's then a part of you and you are just this being flying over us all. Um, John we're so excited please keep us updated so, I, throughout the whole training period because we really want to hear how it goes. Congratulations on being going to be the first ever disabled person in space. Thank you. Thanks very much. How amazing is that? Very cool. I mean, when you think about it, it's like, why is it taking this long? I mean, they've been talking about it at ESA for about four years now. And obviously, you've had to shortlist people and all that kind of stuff. And uh, John came to the top, so we're going to get another Brit in space. I can feel your pride from here. <laughs> Definitely. That was taken from a show called The Last Leg. Pun intended. Yeah. Uh, a satire TV show that has its focus on disabled issues as well as current affairs. It's hosted by disabled stand-up comedians, Adam Hills, who I met once, Alex Brooker, and Josh Widdicombe isn't disabled, although some people jokingly said, I think he is because he comes from Devon. But uh, that's a different story altogether. <laughs> <laughs> Regular listeners to The Garbage Pod will know that the podcast has been on its own Paralympic journey. Most of you will know that I'm from Aylesbury, where Stoke Mandeville Stadium is housed, the spiritual home of the Paralympic movement. So it felt right that The Garbage Pod should cover the London 2012 Paralympic Games, which we did. We were invited to the London 2012 cauldron lighting ceremony at Stoke Mandeville, where the flame was lit, and in a relay overnight was taken to the Olympic Stadium in London. We attended the first day of the athletics at the Paralympic Games, 
we were invited to the Spirit in Motion Festival to mark the Paralympic flame being sent to Sochi for the 2014 Winter Paralympic Games. We interviewed gold medalist rower Naomi Riches at Field de Force Day 2015. We met up with Team GB Golden Girl Hurricane Hannah Cockcroft at the Department of Ability launch party in 2016 and she even signed my Royal Mail first aid cover commemorating her T34 100 metre gold medal which she won at London 2012 and I was there to see her win it. So as John McFall is a former Paralympian and about to become the first amputee at Astronaut we really need to get him on TGP Nominalizer guest. Yeah. Which Space Kate is going to help us with. That would be amazing if we could get him on the show. Might be a bit too popular now. You never know. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, Kate's got contacts at ESA. I've got contacts at ESA. She's got contacts at the UK Space Agency. You never know. We might be at a pincer movement. <laughs> John, do you remember talking about a project called Dear Moon? A few years ago. No. Right. Have a listen to this. My name is Tim Dodd. I'm from the United States, and I've been chosen as a crew member for Dear Moon. I'm 37 years old, and I teach rocket science on YouTube. I used to be a professional photographer, but since 2017, I've been digesting rocket science and making videos about it uh, with the goal of bringing space down to Earth for everyday people. Uh, I applied for Dear Moon uh, because I was, I was actually at the announcement when Yusaku Maezawa uh, shared with the world his great vision of sending um, artists and creatives to the moon. And I thought it was incredible. I decided that I would apply because why not? And uh, here I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm scared of going to the moon. I mean, that's, that's a fact. It, it is, you know, I've felt the explosions of four Starship prototypes. So I'm, I'm very familiar with the risks, and obviously those go through my head a lot. Um, but I also have a lot of faith that by the time this mission happens, SpaceX will have iterated and improved the design to be uh, reliable in a way that I don't think has been possible before. Just as we've seen with the Crew Dragon capsule and Falcon 9, uh, it's, it's an incredibly robust system, and I have a lot of faith that by the time Dear Moon happens, Starship will be up to that same level of reliability. And um, I would fly on, on, on Crew Dragon today, absolutely hands down. And three years ago, I wouldn't have. Nowadays, it's proven to be just so incredible. So I have, the, I have a feeling that that same thing will happen with Starship. There's a lot of video things that I want to do that can help share uh, the experience with the general public and help explain things with the general public that I haven't seen done before. Uh, there's actually a photo that I want to retake. There's a photograph that I, that I when I did the Everyday Astronaut art project, uh, uh, where I faked myself on the surface of the moon with, with the Earth in the background. And to think that I could recreate that photo for real, <laughs> it's just like absolutely absurd. And I think I would have to do that. I think that sounds amazing. So I think I am probably going to do something like that. Um, I'm already quite inspired by space flight. I'm already quite inspired by the physics and the hardware and the engineering and the science. So to be able to witness that stuff firsthand, I just can't even, I don't know what that'll do to me. I have no idea. Um, I don't know if it'll uh, make life seem that much more um, valuable and pristine and fragile, or if it'll make it so nothing on Earth is ever satisfactory again, because it'll be like, well, yeah, this is cool and all, but you know, like last year I was on the, uh, 
flying around the moon. You know, like, I, I'm, I don't know what it's going to do to me emotionally. And uh, I guess that's part of the adventure. I think this is proof that anything can happen. Seven years ago, I bought a spacesuit as a joke to take pictures with. And now I'm going to be flying around the moon. Like, it's just the story arc is ridiculous. And if something like this can happen to me, uh, you know, if you just pursue something with your whole heart and your whole, uh, all your energy, you just absolutely never know uh, what can happen. So that was Tim Dodd from Everyday Astronauts, who I have a lot of time for because of all of his knowledge about spaceflight is self-taught and built the Everyday Astronaut brand from scratch. And I aim to build TGP Nominal into something similar. The Dear Moon Project is a lunar tourism mission and an art project conceived and financed by a Japanese billionaire, Yuzaki Maizawa, otherwise known as MZ. It will use a SpaceX Starship spacecraft on a private space flight, flying a single circumlunar trajectory around the moon. The passengers will be MZ and eight other civilians and one or two crew members. The project was unveiled in September 2018 and is scheduled to launch in 2023. The project's objective is to have eight passengers travel with MZ for free around the moon on a six-day tour. MZ expects that the experience of the space tourism will inspire the accompanying passengers in the creation of something new. The art would be exhibited sometime after returning to Earth to help promote peace around the world. MZ had previously contracted in 2017 with SpaceX for a lunar flyby in a much smaller Dragon 2 spacecraft launched by a Falcon Heavy launch vehicle, which would have carried only two passengers. The other passengers on board the Starship will be DJ and music producer Steve Aoki from the United States, Top, a South Korean musician, Semi-AD, a multidisciplinary creative from Czech Republic. What the hell does that mean? Uh, could be someone who's good at painting and sculpting, you know, various disciplines of art. That's the only thing I can think of. So, a multi-skilled artist. <laughs> That's what I guess, yeah. <laughs> multidisciplinary creative. It sounds like some kind of martial art. Yeah, how, how can we make this sound way more important than it really is? <laughs> um, you've got uh, Rhiannon Adam, a photographic artist from Ireland. Karim Ilya, a photographer from the UK, although he lives in Iceland. Brendan Hall, a filmmaker from the United States. And Dev D. Joshi, an actor from India. Yeah, that's hopefully going to be taking place next year. Like Tim said, he's seen plenty of test crashes with the Starship and uh, yeah, he's used to that kind of thing and it does scare him a little bit when he's seen these crashes up close. <laughs> For years though, I've been watching his videos and live streams and things and he said, I've got no interest in going to the moon. I'm not going to the moon. I'm not going to the moon. And then all of a sudden it's like, I've been selected to go to the moon. <laughs> Are you familiar with the everyday astronaut? Yeah. I just watched a video on his channel yesterday. He was comparing why we use the Bell-type nozzles on engines versus, shoot, what was it called? Aerospikes. The videos are Aerospikes better than Bell nozzles, and it's like an hour long. There's a different kind of engine that was experimented with, and it actually is just as efficient on the surface as it is in space. Oh, wow. On the surface, you'll have multiple small engines with small nozzles. But in space, you'll have one big engine with one big nozzle because that's more efficient for space. 
But Arrow Spikes uses more of a cone, so the flames would actually come inward toward the center of this cone instead of, you know, outward like the the nozzle. But there were so many problems with it, they couldn't figure out how to really make it work. They couldn't figure out how to cool it properly because there's so much surface area. But it goes into so much detail in these videos. Yep. Uh, And some of the animation and things are great as well. Mm -hmm. So it's really worth watching his videos. Uh, I like watching his live streams when there's a rocket launch because it's less stuffy than watching the NASA ones. Ha! I know what you mean. He's inspired me quite a lot. He knows such a lot about spaceflight and human Mm -hmm. spaceflight. And, you know, he's built this brand, this everyday astronaut brand, and now he's been selected to go into space. That's inspiring. That is very cool. Just shows if you've got enough passion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And he's such a cool guy as well. I've been trying to reach out to him for a little while, actually, because once again, he'd make a great guest on the show. Yeah, he would. But uh, with this coming up as well, I doubt that's going to be anytime soon. Right. I think we'll take another short break there. And when we come back, it's time for our music quiz. Hello, this is Chris Lintar, and I want to say Merry Christmas to all the TGP nominal listeners out there. Hey, TGP nominal podcast listeners, this is Noah Petro, the project scientist of NASA's Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, lunar scientist, space enthusiast, and I want to wish everyone a happy, safe holiday season and a most wonderful new year. I look forward to talking to you in the new year. I hope you have a chance to get outside, enjoy the night sky, and uh, look forward to exciting things to come. Take care, everybody. Back at the Justice League, Wonder Woman defends the reputations of Mark Taylor and John Berger of TGP Nominal. Batman, you've got it all wrong. Mark Taylor is not the man you're looking for. We still don't know much about him. Obviously, he's a time-traveling warlord. He's littered the streets with buildings he's stolen from other time periods. What have you been smoking, Batman? Mark's not a warlord. He's the host of TGP Nominal. Hawkwoman, can you please talk some sense into Batman? He's lost it. He's not a warlord. At least he wasn't at first. When we chased him to the Old West, all he was stealing was historical trinkets. What? No, 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 no. You've got Mark mixed up with some DC villain. He's causing severe damage to the space-time continuum. Uh, the degradation is increasing exponentially. Are you hearing me? When we were in the Old West, I got a good look at his time belt. Mark doesn't wear a time belt. I've written a program that should disable it, if we can get close enough to upload it. Now see here, Bruce. Mark is much too busy doing a show to be messing around with the space-time continuum. If we can get our hands on the belt, maybe we can stop any of this from ever happening in the first place. Okay, that's it. Look. I'm going to tell you one last time. Mark is the host of TGP Nominal. They talk space, technology, sci-fi, comic books, gaming gadgets. It's a podcast. In other words, he's not the guy you're looking for. Okay, I've saved the day once again. Can we now move on, please, and finish baking the Christmas cookies? Hi, Mark. This is Laura LaRue wishing you, John Berger, and everybody listening to your great show, TGP Nominal, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. 
So, you join us for our annual music quiz, and this year there are ten questions, with some of them being Christmas-related, but mostly not, which is then followed by our snippets round. This year, all of the tracks are either theme tunes to movies or feature in a movie. All the movies featured span from the 1960s onwards, and some of them have personal meaning to me. There are ten tracks, and 30-plus points could be won. To get the points, you have to identify the artist, composer, or the title of the track. For a bonus point, name the movie that the track is from. And for another bonus point, tell me what year the movie was released. And there'll be a few other bonus points scattered about too. You're kidding. Some of them you might get. Maybe. So, are you ready, guys? Yes. <laughs> it's like very very reserved yes <laughs> timid <laughs> maybe I'm scared <laughs> right okay so let's go one which song plays out at the end credits of the film Die Hard two which country is the singer songwriter Rita Ora from Three. What did Ed Sheeran buy when he earned a number one with his album, Plus? Four. ABBA are a world-famous pop group from Sweden, but which member of the group was born in Norway? Five. Which Christmas single took 36 years to get to number one in the UK? And for a bonus point, what stopped it from becoming a Christmas number one when it was originally released? Six. Thomas Bangalter and Guy Manuel de Homen Cristo are better known as which electronic duo? Seven. According to Chumbawamba's tub thumping, what is the second drink he drinks? Eight. Who was the first woman ever inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Nine. The weekend samples which 80s mega hit in the track Blinding Lights? 10. How many languages does Shakira speak fluently except English? I'll give you a bonus point for naming at least two of them. So have you got your answers down for that? I'm just going to claim loss. <laughs> so if we move on to the snippets round then. One. Two.
Seven. There's your 10. What? I didn't. What are those? I didn't recognize a single one of those. Yeah, I, d- I didn't get a single one. I have no idea. I, I've honestly. Oh, wow. I'm thinking do the previous contestants of Mastermind listen to your show a lot? Because, I mean, honestly, that was hard. <laughs> I got out of all of those, everything, I know one of them definitively. That's it. I think I know which one Probably. that is. Probably. <laughs> I don't have a single answer. I have none. Out of the two. I mean, I've guessed, so you never know. Before I reveal the answers, I think it's time for a little interlude. So here's a beautiful song performed by someone. If you're a regular listener to The Garbage Pod, you might recognise her voice.
that voice john oh yeah absolutely so that was leslie ann shaw singing perfect year and she really has an amazing voice doesn't she mm-hmm. yeah she's great for people not in the know leslie is a professional singer and she appears on our eurovision show and beats our backsides basically she's a trip she's a lot of fun to talk to and she actually appeared in one of last year's Eurovision songs. Um, she was one of the backing vocalist choir members for the Iceland entry. Very cool. Okay, so let's go through the answers for the music quiz. The bloodbath? <laughs> one. Which song plays out at the end credits of the film Die Hard? Did you get that one? Nope. It's been so long since I've seen the movie. Nope. <laughs> let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Two. Which country is the singer-songwriter Rita Ora from? You're going to hate me if I say that name doesn't even sound familiar? (laughs) I've put Spain. Yugoslavia, now known as Kosovo. Three. What did Ed Sheeran buy when he earned a number one with his album Plus? I've put a dog. (laughs) What did you get then? Nothing. I have no idea. A Lego Millennium Falcon. Ooh, that's worthy. (laughs) Four. ABBA are a world-famous pop group from Sweden, but which member of the group was born in Norway? Now, this is one of the reasons why I pre-recorded this, because I had to practice it a few times. That that was another question I had to do that with as well. Any ideas? No idea. Anna-Fried Lindstad. Five. Which Christmas single took 36 years to get to number one in the UK? And for a bonus point... What stopped it from becoming a Christmas number one when it was originally released? I'm guessing last Christmas. Okay. John? I mean, that was my guess, but I thought, I mean, that's been popular over here for a long time, so I don't know. Really? Wham's Last Christmas was beaten to the number one spot by Band-Aid's Do They Know It's Christmas, which sold a million copies in the first week, becoming the fastest selling single in the UK chart history at that time. Yeah, it took 36 years to get to number one. Huh. Strangely, it was in January when it got to number one. (laughs) But yeah, 2021, it got to number one (laughs) in the UK. Weird. Wait, hold on. Was December 2020 when George Michael died? Or was it earlier than that? Uh, No, it was earlier than that. 
thing about Last Christmas is I wrote a parody from it when I was younger, based around a true story. The lyrics go, last Christmas the teddy blew up and the very next day we threw it away. This year, to save us from tears, we're thinking of buying a new one. True story, um, it was in the early 80s and my mum lost her job. And so we were renting a TV at the time, a a big colour TV. We couldn't afford to rent it anymore, so we sent that back. And somebody gave us an old black and white telly, 20-inch black and white. And we actually received it on the day of the network television premiere of Star Wars. I hadn't actually seen Star Wars at that point. I'd seen Empire Strikes Back at the cinema, but I wasn't old enough to watch it, or my mum and dad wouldn't take me to watch it in 1977. So I had to wait for it to come on the TV, which wasn't until 1982. And I watched Star Wars for the first time in black and white. Wow. (laughs) And then later that year, we had the TV on on Christmas Day. wasn't particularly watching anything. It's just on. You know how it is. And... And there was a funny smell coming from the TV, almost like Bakelite or something like that. And all of a sudden, there was a big bang and a puff of smoke. And my dad panicked and he picked up the TV and he threw it into the back garden. And it had been snowing and it was frosty and you could hear it sizzling in the snow. So, yeah, last Christmas, the telly blew up. It's a true story. (laughs) Six. Thomas Bangalter and Guy Manuel de Homen Christo are better known as which electronic duo? I couldn't remember. Are those... They they always wear masks. I think you know I who it I is. I think I do. I just can't remember the name. I thought they were from France. Uh, they were French names. I know the name. I can see them, but I, I just can't... I can't remember the name. You got anything for that one, Will? No idea. Daft Punk. Daft oh. Punk. That's, that's it. I knew it, but I couldn't remember the name. Seven. According to Chumbawamba's tub thumping, what is the second drink he drinks? Vodka. Well, did you get that one? I don't even remember the lyrics. He drinks a whiskey drink, he drinks a vodka drink, he drinks a lager drink, he drinks a cider drink, he sings the songs that remind him of the good times, he sings the songs that remind him of the best times. Is that the one you knew I'd know? I wasn't sure how big Chumbawamba were in America. That was a big hit over here. <laughs> Eight. Who was the first woman ever inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Did anybody get that one? I don't know. I just guessed Roxette. That was just the first name that came to my head. Aretha Franklin. Oh. Nine. The Weeknd samples which 80s mega hit in the track Blinding Lights? Does anybody know that one? Nope. Blinding Lights samples the drumbeat from Take On Me by AHA. Check out this mix. Ah, no way. Took me ages to get that right. <laughs> Ten. How many languages does Shakira speak fluently except English? I'll give you a bonus point for naming at least two of them. Oh, I took a wild guess on this one. Three and, well, I mean, she's native from Colombia, I think. So I just picked Spanish and French as two of them. Picked five. She speaks six languages fluently, including English. Holy. So the other languages are Spanish, Arabic, French, Italian, and Portuguese. She's quite talented. <laughs> Well, at least I got the bonus on that one. 
That's okay. Do you know who convinced her to start singing her songs in English? Don't know. Gloria Stefan. Oh, right. Okay. Well, it makes sense. One of the Canadian astronauts, Julie Poyer, uh, I think she's high up in government now in Canada. She didn't actually speak English till she was 15 because she's French-Canadian. Yeah. Okay. Time for the, the clips then. One. John Williams and the London Symphony Orchestra, and it's obviously from the original Star Wars in 1977. The song is commonly referred to as the Cantina Band song or Cantina Band 1. But if you want to be a true nerd, it's actually called Mad About Me, performed by Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes. So the, the bit that I played, the first part, was just a bit at the end of that track. That was it. That was all I played. Damn. Did not recognize it. <laughs> Two. The formula is seen with a 007. He's got a red head in his arm. Well, he's a lover when you are in trouble. Have to feel. I take it nobody got that one. Nope. Nope. Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass performing Casino Royale from 1967 with Mike Redway singing the title song in the end credits. Herb Alpert would later contribute a trumpet solo to the title song of the 1983 James Bond film Never Say Never Again, which was performed by Alpert's wife, Lani Hall. The 1967 version of Casino Royale is a spoof of the novel by Ian Fleming. In the movie, David Nevin plays Sir James Bond 007. The cast list is a who's who of stars, including Woody Allen, Orson Welles, Peter Sellers and Ursula Andress. Three... Propaganda with Dr. Mabuse from the John Hughes movie Some Kind of Wonderful from 1987. The song is a reference to the characters of a series of Fritz Lang films. An instrumental remix called Abuse appears in the opening titles of the movie, but only the vocal version of this track appears on the official soundtrack. Some Kind of Wonderful stars Eric Stoltz in the lead role of Keith Nelson and his best friend Watts is played by Mary Stuart Masterson. Keith has a thing for a girl that lives in his neighbourhood called Amanda Jones, played by Leah Thompson. Watts likes Keith more than he realises, but still helps him to win over Amanda. 
The writer and producer, John Hughes, named the three main characters, Keith, Watts and Amanda Jones, as an inside joke tribute to the Rolling Stones, Keith Richards, Charlie Watts and the Stones song, Miss Amanda Jones. For a bonus point, what other movie connects Eric Stoltz to Leah Thompson? Well, that'd be Back to the Future. Uh, I haven't a clue. Yeah, that's Back to the Future, because Eric Stoltz was originally cast to play Marty McFly. Four. Every breath you take. Did anybody recognise that one? Nope. Nope. Every Breath You Take, performed by UB40 from the movie Fifty First Dates from 2004. Adam Sandler movies have a tendency to have 1980s heavy soundtracks. The soundtrack features cover versions of 80s hits by contemporary artists as well as 1980s artists. UB40's version of The Police Every Breath You Take is played during the opening titles. Five. Did anybody get that one? Nope. I, I thought it was going to be Beverly Hills yeah. Top. It's done by the same guy. Oh. And I was hoping somebody was going to go down that route. <laughs> Cuffs theme performed by Harold Faltermeyer from 1992. Cuffs is an action comedy that stars Christian Slater and was written for him in mind for the lead role George Cuffs. Although this movie flops at the box office, I have a soft spot for it as Christian Slater constantly breaks the fourth wall and talks to the audience, a bit like Matthew Broderick does in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Six. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. I take it nobody got that one either. Nope. <laughs> nope. Mark Summers with Summers Magic, taken from the movie The World's End from 2013. Mark Summers is a DJ and dance music producer. He released Summers Magic back in 1991, which was a huge hit across raves and dance floors because of the heavy sampling from classic British TV shows, especially the BBC's The Magic Roundabout. It even has a sample from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in it. Summer's Magic was later to appear in the opening titles of the 2013 comedy The World's End, although it doesn't actually appear on the soundtrack, which is heavily influenced by the 1990s. The World's End was directed by Edgar Wright from a screenplay by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg. It's the third and final instalment in the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy after Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Principal photography began on the 28th of September 2012 and lasted until that December, with filming locations including Elstree Studios, Letchworth Garden City, where I live, and Welling Garden City. When they were shooting in Letchworth, the town's Christmas lights had to be delayed because the scenes were supposed to be set in September. So as a thank you to the people of Letchworth, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost switched on the Christmas lights after they had wrapped up the shooting. 
On the release of The World's End, Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright returned to Letchworth for a premiere at the Broadway Cinema with a Q&A session, which I attended. The Broadway Cinema actually featured in The World's End, although in the movie it was the Mermaid Nightclub. Simon, Nick and Edgar also recorded a special message that was played in before every showing of The World's End exclusively for the Broadway cinema. And here is the audio from it. Hello, Letchworth! <laughs> I'm Simon Pegg. I'm Edgar Wright. And I'm Nick Frost. And you are about to watch our new film, The World's End, in the fabulous Broadway cinema, which doubles for pub number eight, The Mermaid. This means you are actually in the movie. It's a 4D experience. We really hope you enjoy... Cheers! <laughs> Not but love for your lech. <laughs> Seven! Did anybody get that one? Nope. Tesla Girls, performed by Orchestra Maneuvers in the Dark, or OMD, from the movie Weird Science in 1985. The inspiration for Tesla Girls had been the Yugoslavian-born scientist Nikola Tesla, a largely forgotten figure in the early years of electrical technology. So why is OMD so interested in Tesla and the study of electricity? Well, the founding member, Paul Humphreys, studied electronics at university, so it makes sense that Nikola Tesla would end up in one of their tracks. For me, John Hughes movies were the whole package when it comes to 80s coming-of-age cinematography, with engaging storylines, brilliant casting, and a soundtrack that fitted the movies like a glove. Weird Science is a perfect example of this. Weird Science is set in Chicago, like a lot of John Hughes movies. Nerdy social outcast students from Shermer High School, the same fictional high school used in The Breakfast Club, Gary Wallace and Wyatt Donnelly, played by Anthony Michael Hall and Ian Mitchell-Smith, are constantly humiliated by senior jocks Ian and Max, played by Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Ruslow. Rejected and disappointed at their direction in life and wanting more, Gary convinces the uptight Wyatt that they need a boost of popularity. All alone for the weekend with Wyatt's parents away, Gary is inspired by the 1931 classic Frankenstein to create a virtual woman using Wyatt's computer. After hooking electrodes to a doll and hacking into the government computer system for more power, a power surge creates Lisa, played by Kelly LeBrock, a beautiful and intelligent woman with unlimited magical powers. OMD's Tesla Girls features in the scene set in the shopping mall where the lead characters Gary and Wyatt are feeling good about themselves because Lisa has changed their life around. Just as Max tips an icy, or what we'd call a slush puppy over here, over their heads from the floor above, making Gary and Wyatt a laughing stock. Like the characters in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I could relate to Gary and Wyatt being a bit of a misfit at school, and that's why Weird Science appealed to me as a teenager. Weird Science appealed to you from Kelly LeBrock. No, I could relate to the guys <laughs> because I... I was exactly the same I've, i felt the same thing thing is i i relate to ferris bueller as well because i tried to get away with a lot of things not as successfully as ferris bueller might i add um uh, where i uh skipped school one day 
and uh, it was a, a snowy day and we decided we were going to go to Boggan instead of going to school. And <laughs> I had to produce a letter from my parents to say why I was off. Uh, I typed out the letter and I managed to forge my mother's signature, but I wasn't happy with it. So when I handed the letter in, I said to the school, excuse my mum's handwriting, she's damaged her arm. Um, to which point they actually phoned my mum and asked her how her arm was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't my best move. <laughs> I, I've watched the film, obviously. I didn't realise it was uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah a very, a very young Robert Downey Jr., yeah. Mm, I'll have to watch it again. Such an awesome movie. I watch it a lot. <laughs> it's really funny. Eight. Did anybody get that one? Nope. The Chosen One, composed by Michelle Columbia and performed by Robbie Buchanan, and is the theme to The Golden Child from 1986. Alan Silvestri was originally set to provide the film score, but turned down the project. Paramount then turned to John Barry. However, during post-production, Barry also left the project. The test audience reaction had led to the producers replacing Barry's score with new music by Michelle Columbia. Alongside Eddie Murphy, the film's cast includes Charlotte Lewis and Charles Dance. Now, we didn't have a VCR in our house until the late 1980s, but a lot of my friends did, and sometimes I got to choose what movie we were going to rent from the local video store. The Golden Child was possibly the first video I rented out, followed by The Explorers, starring Evan Hawkes and River Phoenix, which is a bit cheesy, but if you like movies like The Flight of the Navigator, you will love it. Both these movies hold a place in my heart, and this is why I chose a track from one of them. Nine! I didn't get any of them. I haven't got any of these. <laughs> nope, I didn't get any of them either. The theme from Bad Boys, composed by Mark Mancini, from 1995. Mark Mancini is a prodigy of Hans Zimmer and worked on Zimmer's media ventures for many years. He has scored over 60 films, television series and video games, including Speed, Twister, Training Day, Criminal Minds and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. The movie stars Martin Lawrence and Will Smith as two Miami narcotics detectives, Marcus Burnett and Mike Lowry. Director Michael Bay did not like the script for the movie and often engaged with Smith and Lawrence in discussions about how the dialogue and scenes could improve. He often allowed them to improvise while the cameras were rolling. For me, this is what made the relationship between Marcus Burnett and Mike Lowry believable. 10. Anybody know that? Nope. Nope. To the Shock of Miss Louise, composed by Thomas Newman from The Lost Boys in 1987. Such an iconic movie with an iconic soundtrack to match. 
In a career that spanned over four decades, Thomas Newman has scored numerous films including The Shawshank Redemption, American Beauty, The Green Mile and the James Bond movies Skyfall and Spectre. Newman has been nominated for 15 Academy Awards, tying him with fellow composer Alex North for the most nominations without a win. He has also been nominated for four Golden Globes. He has won two BAFTAs, six Grammys and an Emmy Award. I can't seem to find out why the track is called To the Shock of Miss Louise, and it doesn't seem to have any reference to anything in the Lost Boys movie. However, there is speculation online on whether it is a nod to Thomas Newman's mother, whose middle name is Louise, and the fact that she came from Mississippi, where women are referred to as Miss. The Lost Boys is a vampire-based comedy horror. The title is a reference to the Lost Boys in J.M. Barry's stories about Peter Pan and Neverland, who, like vampires, never grew up. To the shock of Miss Louise sounds like it should be from a fairground, and sure enough, it comes from the scene in The Lost Boys where David and his gang are getting a little boisterous on the carousel on Santa Carla's boardwalk and are dealt with by security. Okay, so how did you both do... Horrifically might be the word. Is this like over the the twenty questions? Yeah, yeah, it's over the. I got two two points. Same. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it was probably the worst I've ever <laughs> performed in any form of quiz. <laughs> oh, I'm demoralized now. Demoralized. <laughs> yeah, m- Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, science lovers. It's Steph Evs of The Stimulus. I hope you and your loved ones have a wonderful holiday and a happy new year. Hi, this is Zach Galligan, and you're listening to the TGP Podcast. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays to all the listeners of TGP Nominal. This is Richard Garriott, I'm an honorary crew member. I'm uh, an astronaut. I flew on uh, Soyuz TMA-13 to the ISS in 2008. Some of you video game players may know me also as Lord British, uh, working on my newest game, Shroud of the Avatar. You know, as we are wrapping up one more trip around the sun, I know that many may lament getting one year older, but I must say that I am particularly excited about the current state of space science and technology uh, while we are uh, in a new golden era of space exploration, of human space exploration, where costs are coming down, access frequency is increasing, which means safety will also be increasing. And I, for one, am very bullish on my own ability to get back into space, which also comes along with the fact that I believe all of us will have an easier time uh, fulfilling our own dreams in uh, space beyond the Earth and maybe even on another planet. So here's to seeing you in the near future in space. Happy holidays.
Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spamheadproductions.weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So we've come to the end of the 2022 Christmas crossover and I would like to thank John for being my partner in crime. Always glad to be here. Let's just make sure we can do this more often from now on. That's going to be a New Year's resolution, definitely. (laughs) Will, I'd like to thank you for coming on board at short notice and helping us out during the year. No worries. Anytime. Love it. Really appreciate uh, you asking me. And I'd like to thank Ross Hockham from UK Astronomy for taking time out to record his festive skies piece and for all the work he puts into the sky guides throughout the year. Our latest honorary crew member, Kate Arkliss-Gray, and Leslie Anshaw for giving us permission to play in Perfect Year into the show. And as I like to say at the end of every episode, thanks to everyone for listening. Stay safe, and we'll speak to you all again in 2023. (laughs) Have a Merry Christmas, Doc. And a Happy New Year. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Ho, 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 toodles. Ho, ho.